There's always a storm of thoughts, feelings and ideas swirling in one's brain. Through the act of writing or storytelling, you try to express it on paper or screen or stage and if you're lucky, the chaos becomes coherence. Something meaningful, something beautiful emerges. Human beings are hardwired for storytelling. American scholar Jonathan Gottschall suggested that the human race should be called not homo sapiens but homo fictus, meaning the storytelling animal. We make sense of our world through stories. A cave painting of animals and hunters from 30,000 years ago is ancient man telling the story of his life and trying to understand it through the telling. Today cave walls have been replaced by social media walls and screens of various sizes. Cautionary tales such as Little Red Riding Hood are another example of learning through storytelling. The purpose of such a story is to make you aware that you should be wary of strangers. And the child who draws stick figures of himself and his family standing in front of his house is recreating his little world through a pictorial story. When you write a poem after a difficult breakup, you're trying to sort out your feelings by expressing them in this story in verse. And even when you plan for the future in your day-to-day lives, you're telling a story. The plan is the story of the future you desire. Hey everyone, welcome to the Closet Writer Chronicles. I'm your host Sangeeta, aka The Moody Marshmallow. You just heard our guest for today, Shumanto Chattopadhyay. Shumanto is a creative consultant and the creator of The English Nut, a platform that highlights interesting facts about the English language. He is the former chairman and chief creative officer of 82.5 Communications Ogilvy Group and he was the executive creative director of Ogilvy South Asia. He is also an actor and is currently in the process of writing his first book. Tune in to hear about Shumanto's journey. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Closet Writer Chronicles. This week I have with me Shumanto Chattopadhyay. Welcome to the show Shumanto, it's so good to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be on your show, Sangeeta. So just, you know, to kind of dive right in, I think the first thing I want to ask you is, what is your earliest memory of being creative? And when did you start writing? Okay. So, you know, when I was about three or four years old, we used to live in this old bungalow in Calcutta, which had those typical red oxide floors. And in the afternoon, and my mother gave gave me, I think that, you know, my mother used to uh, have a job. She used to teach in the mornings and then she would come home and have lunch and then take a nap. And she didn't want me to disturb her, I think, at that time. So she, she gave me a box of chalk in different colors and said, you can draw on the floor. And so I, you know, every afternoon I would cover my parents' entire bedroom floor with drawings. And when I got done, with that floor, I would it would you know my drawings would spill over onto the balcony, and I would just keep drawing. And then you know our house at that time, uh, it you know the floors used to be wiped once in the morning, and then again at around four thirty in the afternoon, they were swept and swapped again. So basically at four thirty, you know 
my drawings were wiped clean and I got a fresh new canvas for the next day. So, so yeah, so I think my creative, uh, or my creativity started with drawing on the floor with chalk. Writing came uh, later, actually. Uh, I was living in Arusha, Tanzania with my parents at one point in time. I, I was in class six and seven over there. And, uh, one of my teachers gave me a one-page story and asked me to develop it into a full-fledged play. Uh, okay. And I didn't hesitate. I hadn't learned self-doubt yet, you know. So I, I, my teachers asked me to write a play. So I, I, I'm sure I know. And I wrote it. And she said, great, you know. And it's, it was performed as, as the annual school play. And I didn't find that also to be something extraordinary because I thought maybe, okay, this is the way it happens. And so it, it was performed. And uh, then, you know, we were there for just two years. And I remember when I was leaving with my parents, my teacher dropped into our house and she said that, you know, I'll wait for you to publish your first play. And unfortunately, I've, I, 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 you know, I've disappointed her because I haven't <laughs> published any plays after that. But yeah, I think that, you know, that boost and that, you know, that self-confidence boost that I got or, you know, just just a teacher that you respect sort of telling you that, of course, you can write this and you don't even think that that you can't and you write it. So I think that's got what got me started on writing. Uh, and it was very different once I came back to India because academics were a lot tougher in, in India compared to other, because I've lived in the UK, I've lived in, Africa, you know, and then later on in America, Canada, and in India, somehow the the system is such that you have to really study hard, and you know, there's always this. Yeah. And I come from a family of academics, and so there was no. My parents would say no pressure, but you know, your father's first class first, your grandfather was a gold medalist, and on and on and on. So you know, you had there was this tremendous pressure that, that you felt, and also you know, coming back. Suddenly, you know, not having studied Bengali abroad and then coming back and having... So I I would have to work really hard. So this, the creative part of life would kind of take a backseat. But I think this uh, being in uh, Tanzania and having this opportunity was fantastic. And earlier on, when I was seven, eight years old, we were in Manchester, England. So I don't think that I, I wrote anything other than, you know, basic you know, half page, you know, paragraphs and all. But I, even over there, I, I think my, I when I went to England, I could, you know, I was barely learning CAT, CAT, BAT, BAT. But when I went there and I was put in the school, you know, at that age, kids pick up languages really fast. And that's how I, yeah. uh, that's how I picked up English. And I remember that, uh, you know, we had this series, this Ladybirds series, which we, uh, and you read as per your level. So once you finished a book, you went on to the next book. And I remember at one point, my teacher called my mother in and said that, you know, we've, we don't have any more books. I, I, I know I'm showing off about my eight-year-old self, but so they were basically, I reached the top level and there were no more books in the series for me to read. So I think that I, I've always, so because I was thrown into this situation in England, so English language is something that I picked up at that point And that's, stood me in great stead ever since. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think we will come to, of course, the English nut, which I think is one of, I think is such an amazing venture that you've gotten yourself into. And we will come to that. Um, but, you know, I think 
one thing which you mentioned and which I found really interesting was the fact that since, you know, you were moving around a lot. So uh, I'm just curious then, you know, like what your sort of relationship with, say, I guess, belonging to a place is in terms of, I guess, you know, identity and culture, because I know a lot of people who do who have moved around a lot while growing up. And there's sort of like this third culture kid situation in terms of kind of figuring out, oh, like, you know, I identify with this, but I also identify with that. So what was, I guess, identity like? For yeah, very you? much so. I mean, I, I can totally relate to what you're saying and what you're asking me because, see, at one level, you know, I, I come from this Bengali family who's, you know, the typical very proud of being Bengali family with the Tagore connections and all of that and grew up with that. And uh, the schools, the school that I went to in Calcutta had a great stress on Bengali culture and all of that. So, uh, uh, so that that was very much a a part of my identity. Calcutta was very much a part of my identity. But I also, because I went uh, abroad, my father took jobs in different countries. So I think those being in those places, you know, when you're away, see, when you're in a place where you're just like everybody else, it's one thing. But then when you suddenly go, you know, I, I remember later on, especially when I went to the US, I really felt like I was an ambassador for India, you know, nobody asked me to be, but I felt that, you know, everything that I, I did would, people would judge what India is like or what Indian culture is like based on my behavior. So that's a pressure that I put on myself. But yeah, I, I mean, also, like I said, you know, being in England, uh, by the way, I was also born in the UK. I was born in Swansea, Wales. But I, oh, okay. I, just, I think I was a month old when my parents came back from that trip. Uh, but uh, yeah, so later on, we went to Manchester and as I said, Arusha. And then I went to the US and Canada and all of that. So I think that being in those places does give you a completely different perspective because it's not... I think when you're in, if you live in one place all your life, everybody has pretty much the same set of beliefs. And you look, you be, I mean, of course, there are differences, but you do things, everybody does things in a particular way. Your lifestyle is dictated by the way that city is and, you know, the way the arrangements are, what the public transport system, you know, even basic things like that. So I think that you know, a simple thing like when, when you live in, say, when you're studying in the U.S. as an an adult you know you have to wash your own dishes and you have to clean your own house and these are things particularly for indians you know we we are really spoiled you know when because we have people do these things for us so it gives you a different uh, perspective and then there's dignity of labor in those countries i mean somebody yeah. just because somebody is working as a janitor does not mean that you know they are lesser uh, than yeah. somebody who's working in a I don't know, in an academic job or whatever the other interesting thing uh, that I want to talk about in this context is that, you know, I went to a college called Berea College in Kentucky for my bachelor's okay. degree. And it was a work-study program, which meant that, uh, so my parents didn't, you know, they, they didn't have to pay for my education at all. Uh, in the sense that they, they just had to buy me a ticket and there was a deposit that had to be paid. Uh all students on that campus had to work a minimum between 10 and 20 hours. But in exchange, and they used to give you a small, you know, amount per hour that you worked, which was like pocket money. But in exchange for working on campus, 
everything was free like your you know your 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 board and your food and lodging and you know uh, tuition as they call it everything was paid for so that it was quite amazing actually and uh, so as a part of this program uh, i i did different jobs when i went there i started out as a waiter because the 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 college had it was quite a historical campus and there was this very old hotel called the boom tavern and i worked as a waiter in the restaurant over there to learn how to carry trays of food how to take orders how to serve well wow. and describe the items on the menu and then i did other jobs i i i worked as a a tour guide of the campus where the the most important thing in that was that you had to it was a walking tour and i had to walk backwards with people you know following me from the front and uh, but anyway you know, and i i did all sorts of other jobs as well um, i was a teacher's assistant and so on but the one of the big tenets of that institution was that all labor has dignity so people did all sorts of jobs like i was doing some some people also did janitorial jobs you know but everybody was equal in all jobs so i think the perspective like that is not something you would get in india typically hmm No, I completely agree, and I really liked your sort of take on that. You know, in terms of what your experience uh, was like, um, but you know, kind of moving, I guess, to your educational background, uh, which again, again, is very interesting because you know you studied economics, you studied math, and then you got an MBA. Yeah. How did you know? How did each of those choices happen for you? Because I mean, usually I think people are struggling in terms of okay, you know, let's just get one degree and okay, maybe a master's, get done with it, and then start working. You got like three full-fledged degrees here, and they're not exactly, you know, consi- they're also I guess considered more laborious in terms of like I guess certain other subjects. So how did each of you know these choices happen for you, and how do you think they've contributed to where you are today? Well, I already told you how you know uh, there was this stress on academics in our family, and the other thing was I I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Okay. Uh, so, uh, when I went, when I uh, one of the things was I actually used to struggle with math in school, and my and so when you know we as per the system that I was under, uh, you know in the. in the 11th standard you could you your number of subjects reduce so you could choose a stream and i wanted to give right. up mathematics and my father said no no don't give up mathematics uh so i didn't want to do the sciences so the in between was the you know eco math stats as it was called so economics mathematics statistics and then i applied for this uh, berea college in the us and i went off over there and i had already been studying these subjects so that's what i told them i wanted to study and my father was and was very happy and i it's not like i was very i was i was not one of those youngsters who was very sure that they wanted to study a particular thing and then get a particular kind of job and i also think that at that nowadays there are a lot more opportunities available there are all yeah. kinds of jobs that are available in in india today for example which were not there uh, you know at that time so my father was obviously looking out for my future and you know he said go with these safe options so i just kind of drifted into uh, economics and mathematics and uh, i you know and, and i completed my degree and while i was do i was doing this you know uh, one of the universities came to recruit students into their mathematics department and you know i was actually doing well in mathematics 
there versus what I okay. was doing. So my math teacher wanted to wanted me to, you know, get a master's in math. So I got into this program at Clemson University. In a, it was an applied mathematics uh, program, and uh, yeah, it it was actually quite it, it was hard, but it was quite interesting as well. And uh, you know, uh, one of the things that I started doing there, I actually started teaching, uh, you know, probability. 101 oh wow okay so, and i would be that was also quite an experience because i would be teaching these students who some of them were like football players so they were like you know much oh, wow. and i was i was so scared i was so nervous because i'd never taught before and i was teaching this room full of people who were many of whom were double my size <laughs> and i and i have to tell you uh, i mean this is an aside but i i had an experience there which which was quite a sort of a life changing or let, let's say it, it was a, a lesson learned for me, which was that, so there was, a, so when I started in the first semester in the first uh, probability class that I was teaching, I was not able to control the class. So, you know, everybody was like, you know, talking and doing this and throwing things at each other. And there was this one guy who was, uh, who kind of was the ring leader. Okay. And he was, I think, a football player. And this was going on and I felt that if this is uh, what, I, I'm not going to be able to sustain this, you know, because it was nerve-wracking for me to uh, teach it. So one one day I decided, and I was having sleepless nights over this, and one night I said, no, I'm going to talk to this guy. And and can you imagine, I was the teacher, but I was actually so scared to go up to him and t- tell him that, could you please stay back after class today? So he looked really surprised, but he stayed back. And I told him that, look, you know, uh, this is the first time I'm teaching and I'm really trying my best. Maybe I'm not doing a great job. I don't know. But you're not helping me what you're doing. And I'm, I'm requesting you to, you know, kind of help me out over here. And, you know, that was a turning point in my life because, you know, from the next okay. day, not only did he stop misbehaving, if anybody else in class misbehaved, he would like act like the class monitor. And he was this huge guy. So he, people, <laughs> and then he'd look back at me and like, you know, with that look like, see. And so it come. And then after that, I really started enjoying teaching and it, it, it was smooth sailing there on. So that, that's amazing. That, that, that was quite an experience. So anyway, so after I did, uh, so I finished my master's in mathematics. And in fact, my professor there, uh, because we, we had to do a paper as a part of even a master's degree, like a thesis. And he said, we want you to stay back for a PhD. So, I, okay, wow. so you know, by then I decided that I don't want to make a career in mathematics. Okay. And then, uh, by the way, my father was a professor at the Indian Institute of Management in Kolkata. So management mba was another big thing or both my brothers had mba though both of them went into teaching late both of them got phds and went into teaching so oh, but wow. anyway, i said okay let me do an mba so i applied uh, and i did it you know got into this mba program uh so i and, and i think that you know while being in the creative department of an ad agency doesn't have much to do with these. But I would say there are certain connections. So one of the things is that having an MBA helped me connect with clients because many of my, you know, the marketing people on the other side in the client companies had MBA. So I could talk their language, which I think mm, the advantage yeah. that I had. 
and uh, i think economics is something which just gives you practical knowledge of the world because you know it's how you're you know when there's a recession happening you know what's going on you know versus yeah. if you had no background in that subject and mathematics actually is a very creative subject uh, in a very different way and of course is once you get past the basics that that we learn and there's a lot of learning by rote that happens and but it's it's more about the theory and the concepts once you get into the concepts part of it 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 it's something really creative so yeah so that that's that, that's what uh, uh, my so my educational background is very different from the career that i ended up doing but i just think that it it's made me who i am i mean it it's made me a multifaceted person yeah no for sure and i think that's really interesting in fact i remember um watching this ted talk uh, by emily wapnick and she speaks about uh, multipotentialites which are basically um you know individuals who have uh, more than one interest and they kind of end up merging multiple interests and kind of pursuing careers yeah. you know which kind of merges them or pursuing different interests or two three streams altogether so it's really you know fascinating to kind of just hear people talk about that right in real life um but also i mean to be fair i studied like finance and i'm in publishing now oh. so so you know we're we're alike in that way <laughs> yeah so i mean i think i can relate when you know people say that oh i studied something but i'm doing something completely unrelated uh completely empathize there um uh, but yeah having said that you did like you said you got into advertising which is like again a completely different stream as you know opposed to what you did study of course it did combine the things you you studied but then how did you kind of decide to get into advertising so you know one of the courses that we had in the mba was on advertising and hmm. in that course they used to actually show us uh, lots of tv commercials you know and i and they a lot of them were fun to watch and i thought maybe it it would be fun making these things as well and you know working on them so that's what uh, you know aroused my interest in advertising and then uh, you know there was the french government had sponsored the slogan contest which uh, like they had a, one of the institutions they approached was mcgill where i was studying so i saw this on a notice board so i wrote a slogan and it won so oh wow okay yeah so that so i thought i mean i knew vaguely that you know writing slogans was one of the things i'd have to do in an agency and so the, these were the two of the things that made me consider advertising and also also i so the other thing is that i i finished my mba and i decided i'm going to come back to india i'm going to come back to calcutta my home and i came back and i actually had uh, you know i met some people who were in advertising and i found that you know there approach to life the way they dress they didn't wear like formals and things like that and i thought this is cool so i think that also influenced me so all of these things combined kind of uh, i think um, and and i had a flair for writing because uh, it, when i was doing the mba we, we had to do a lot of group projects and i hated doing the research part of it and all that so i i would say that look i'll write the paper for you but you guys do the research and initially you know it was that prejudice they were thinking that you know an indian guy is going to be writing the paper and you know here we we the rest of us our first language is english but then after they saw what the way i was writing the first paper they said they they were happy to let me do it from then on 
and even before that when i was in doing the uh, my bachelor's degree at birria college i had uh, there was a college uh, paper sort of a weekly paper that used to come out and i uh, wrote a few things for that that that's when i first realized that i can write stuff like this which can get published you know okay so yeah so i i did i mean i i, I just wrote some columns for them and so yeah so the those columns as well as you know writing the papers in the mba and then the slogan contest and the fact that i enjoyed the ads which i saw in the advertising class all of these things kind of combined to push me to apply to an ad agency for my first job yeah and you've worked in advertising for about 30 years which is insane uh you know how has that phase been like for you i mean 30 years in advertising i mean you must have really seen the space evolve as well but i'm just curious what it's been like for so you so it it's it's really changed a lot because uh, i mean print was such a big thing when i joined you know of course tv was big and it was getting bigger but newspapers and magazines and so print advertising was huge and there was no digital Ra- radio was also good and then fm started and fm became like a, a big thing i think in the last few years things have changed dramatically again because you know with the rise of digital uh, and print going into decline i think things have changed a, a, a lot and also this whole thing of uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and you know people are constantly talking about the fact that it's going to be uh, technology and data which are going to start basically there going to be robots replacing creative people like me yeah so so i like to think that it's not exactly going to uh, that is not exactly going to be like that i i would like to think that uh, uh human creativity is always going to play a role but it's going to be one of the fa- things which along with what machine learning can offer you what artificial intelligence can offer you and what this you know ocean of data that we have at our fingertips can offer you all of these things are going to combine with the creativity of a human being of course there are going to be ads that are going to be churned out without any uh, you know i believe that already there are certain articles which are written online which are, are written by bots so yeah uh, so you know i'm sure there are ads being written by bots as well and that that is going to increase but i think that to to create something a piece that's really and truly quote unquote creative maybe that human uh, uh, element has to be there still so we are not going to become totally redundant <laughs> but then what were your i guess favorite ads i guess it, not even just when you were working but even growing up because i know while growing up i missed the ads from the 90s <laughs> and you know early 2000s but even like what were ads that you loved growing up and what are some of the stuff that you worked on which you loved and you're proud of when you look back and say oh that that was a really cool project i worked on well uh, first let me talk about uh, an ad which you know when i was uh, new in advertising uh, there was this ad for raymonds which had, you know the raymonds complete man series it was uh, it had rahul bose in it uh and it was about this guy who you know who probably left bombay to go somewhere else and he's come back and he's looking for his friend and you know he just can't find so the whole film is the search for his friend and then you know he realizes at the end we realize he finds you know his friend 
parents house and you know uh, they're not very well to do and all that he sees the mother at the door and then <clears throat> he realizes that his his friend has become wheelchair bound and so that's why he did not want to meet him and so it ends with this really you know up, uh, upbeat kind of a scene where he's you know i don't know whether it's uh, on job party or somewhere but he's pushing his friend along in the uh, in the wheelchair and they're just having a wonderful time together so all of this didn't matter uh, and the the years that they were apart didn't matter the fact that this guy had lost the ability to walk didn't matter and it was the friendship that and that's what made him a complete man i guess so uh, yeah that that was an ad it was uh, you know shot by this company called white light who were, who were the big daddies of ad filmmaking at that time okay it was a beautifully made film so you know even if you see it today it it it, it doesn't look dated in that sense yeah um you know you're talking about what ads that i worked on you know there's something that i worked on which i recently just i think yesterday i put on um linkedin and it got a very good response it was a print ad that i had worked on it was for adoption and uh it, it was something that i'd worked on for uh an ngo called iapa which dealt with adoption and mm. and i i think the attitudes toward adoption have changed a lot today where yeah. you know but at that time if you know people were not open to ad, uh, to adoption and if they if they did adopt they would actually try to keep it a secret and things like that so you know the the brief was to create a positive um, attitude towards uh, adoption and we created this print campaign uh, which still sort of you know gets forwarded by people and uh, uh, it it shows it's a a child carrying a, a parent but the parent is like a a, a baby a, a small version of the parent in in his or her lap and uh, the line below says adopt you will get far more you will receive far more than you can ever give and, uh, so that's yes, beautiful and that was many years ago and you know because i think world adoption we uh, day passed just a few days ago i realized that and i said let me put this old ad on linkedin and it you know it just got such a huge and such a warm response it was really heartening so yeah that's one of the things that i worked on which i'm very proud of so and also i had a wonderful experience some years ago uh, where there was uh, somebody who got in touch with me and said you know i'd like to come and meet you uh and so she came and met me and she said that you know your camp so she had an adopted child and she said it was your campaign which inspired me to adopt that's amazing yeah yeah that's so that wonderful really, yeah that was really really something wow i think that's amazing when i think the work you do can really touch lives in that yeah. way that's yeah i mean a lot of times we are you know we are selling brands which are not not necessarily great i mean products which are not necessarily you know great uh but uh when when you get to work on something like this it really is is wonderful yeah that no that's special for sure and you know i think sort of you know pivoting a bit i i i know you wrote an article about you know storytelling being at the crux of the human experience yes and yes. you know uh, just kind of talking about that what makes a good story for you 
there there are many kinds of stories that i enjoy so it's hard to pinpoint one particular type but what i would say is that for me the the way it's written the writing style the craft is very important it's not just the the story itself but it's the way that that writer uses words uh, that that make uh, an impact on me so recently the uh, the book that i read was the promise by south african novelist damon galgett oh yes yeah yeah so it, you know and it, that had like quite a unique style it, it the so it, it it was in a way he had a very terse style but there was a certain so one of the things that i liked in the way he wrote was like uh, when he was reporting conversation somebody says something and they they don't mean it they they have some they mean something completely different or with their true feelings about it. so he just you know he would write what the person said and then in brackets what the person actually felt about it so you know that subtext but it was just it was so wonderful and the other thing was that different uh, parts of the book were written from the points of uh, points of view of different uh, different characters in the book so you really got to see the inner landscape of a lot of the characters in a more intimate way because of the way that he did it so that that was a book that i really loved another one was uh, there's a book called hamnet by maggie o'farrell i don't know if you've read it no i so have it's, not it's it's this is a i mean in terms of the way it's written this is the most one of it's an exquisitely written book so just for that you can read it uh, and it's it's a got a fascinating subject so the book is called hamnet h a m n e t and and it's actually about um, uh, the the main character in this book is anne hathaway shakespeare's wife and okay. it's about their family life and they actually had a son called hamnet who died in the plague so and you know in some ways um, shakespeare wrote uh, the play hamlet in I memory see. of his son it's so it's a it's a beautiful and you know it's a it's a beautiful story and i think it also has some amount of magic uh realism in it and it's it's just wonderful and and the way it actually because this child dies of plague and it, the way it traces where the disease started and how it reached uh this child is also that itself was something quite extraordinary so I, uh, yeah so you asked me what makes a story good for you and i just told you two examples of books that i like but yeah so i think many different kinds of stories that i love but uh, it's the way that they're written that really gets to me yeah as much as the content and sometimes not you know sometimes the content can not be so big i mean it's it's there but it's just the way that it's written that makes it shine yeah no for sure and i, I like i really like those two book recommendations you gave um i have heard of the promise i've not read it but i will definitely check it out and hamnet for sure um but yeah i mean kind of moving back to advertising and your and your 30 years there um you recently did you know retire and you said you wanted to kind of give more time to the english nut and a book you're working on yeah um, yeah so i think the first thing is how does it how does retired life feel now i guess you know in now that it's not the same role in a way yeah so you know i was quite apprehensive uh, about it before it happened because it was too, you know i was literally stepping into the unknown 
and after having you know working and going to an office i mean though of course during the pandemic we also did a lot of work from home but other than that you know one was always in the midst of you know an office and so many people and it, that itself was a lifestyle you know yeah and when you're in advertising you know then you you're all there's a lot of socializing that you do and it's all around work which is also the negative part of it because i suddenly realized that almost all my friends are also my colleagues you know oh okay so when i you know when i get out and i know how busy and so the socializing would half the time be impromptu like you know you work till 9:30 at night and then you went for a drink so then i said will i will i actually get to meet any of these people who are my friends so i was so it, you know things like that which i was worried about and also like how do i structure my day yeah you know? but what happened was that i mean i i think the main thing was that i have stuffed I, i'm working on things like i'm working english not of course was there and continues to be there and there's the book based on the english not which i'm writing which i'm actually way behind schedule on so that's something that that i'm trying to finish uh and you know two weeks into my retirement uh, i had to do this uh, sort of i interviewed piyush pandey it was a, a chat or a, a fireside chat as it's called so um, and i had not read his book so as so i quickly read his book his second i read his first book i read his second book in preparation for uh you know that so and i so the first two weeks i kind of occupied myself with that and then did the fireside chat and then i i was invited to do a ted talk a tedx talk oh wow uh, okay uh, by this um, college in coimbatore and that i really prepared for because for, first of all i i mean the way that the and this was my first brush with uh, ted or tedx except as a viewer but you know you first have to send the you know your just your, your speech or your talk for approval and okay so the institution kind of or they gave me the, the approval of course but then it you know in advertising we do a lot of presentations which are show and tell you know you have slides and you have you know you're showing ads and you know or whatever your strategy slides and you're talking about that so that's a huge crutch which you have so you don't actually just do a talk where there's nothing between it's just you and your audience right so i was actually quite terrified by the prospect and i kept thinking that you know what if i blank out uh so uh, of course they they had this uh, like a monitor when they said uh, you know you can put your notes there so i just made a one pager with the first sentence of every section in my speech so at least you know i'll be but you know it doesn't really and the place they placed it sort of below the stage so if you actually blanked out you would have to look down and you know it it would have completely broken the flow and of course when i was doing my last rehearsals i kept on blanking out but thankfully when i went up on stage to do it i was able to do the whole thing smoothly and and it was very funny because one of when i i finished it and i came back and sat down with in the in the row where all the other speakers was one of them said oh that was so spontaneous so i said that that was anything but yes because i have rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed so maybe that's why it it I seemed it was so effortless it sounded spontaneous so yeah but uh, clearly then retired life is not stopping you because yeah. like yeah so i completely forgot the question that you asked <laughs> 
yeah so so there's that and then i you know so that was on saturday my ted talk was on saturday oh, then wow. i was okay. preparing today for your uh, <laughs> podcast and then i you know i've been asked to anchor uh, so there's a marketing and advertising conference coming up and i've been asked to anchor the creative part of it so i'm going to have to start preparing for so I, you know i what i've realized is that as long as you have meaningful work to do so then then it's fine i and i don't want to you know get back into that 9 to 5 grind uh, but i i'm glad that i have uh, interesting things to do and i also want to act and by the way i i did my first acting gig also a week oh, ago oh wow yeah so you know uh, as in i i was in a tv commercial which one of my ex colleagues who's a very talented director called Ryan Mendonca so he was directing an ad and he thought i was the perfect fit for a particular character so he called me up and said shumo would you like to do this i said yeah this is what i've been wanting to do so yes so that of course i had to you know you nowadays you just videotape your audition at home and you send it that's that's the way it okay. works because you know it has to be approved by the agency then by the client and i've done it from the other side so i know but anyway i, I because i was the, the director's choice for that particular part i got it um, and the and the agency and the client agreed with uh, the director so anyway so it was really fun to be back on a shooting floor and uh, i mean of course it, it's a it's a small part anyway an ad is just 30 seconds long and within that is just i'm one of the uh, four or five characters in that ad but it was fun and and it was a beginning for me of something that i want to pursue that's amazing no but it's so amazing to just hear you you know talk about kind of just pursuing so many different things and you're still like going at it which i think is incredible um and you know and speaking about acting uh, uh you know i very clear i remember when the english not videos came out and i would watch your content and i i would kind of i'd have this feeling that i have seen you somewhere before and i realized that i've seen you in piku in that one scene and and I, and that was just like i was like oh my god it's the same guy so you know how did acting happen for you and you know what are you looking forward to in that space what are you looking at working at is it theater is it screen like what is it so going back to how it started you know when i moved uh, i first joined advertising in calcutta and then i moved to bombay and uh, i had you know like in calcutta i had been approached once or twice to do sort of really small modeling things uh, but so when i moved to bombay i decided that i'm going to get my portfolio made okay and you never you never guess who shot my portfolio uh should i guess you, no you i don't think you'll be able to <laughs> but you know it's it's a person who's known as a very famous actor today baman irani so oh, he used wow. to be a photographer in his erstwhile life uh, so he was a photographer and he used to shoot people's portfolio so he shot my so i can say that my uh, modeling portfolio was shot by baman irani so you know i with that portfolio i you know i started getting ads right away in fact and uh, then i was also approached to do a play called barefoot in mumbai okay. which was based on barefoot in the park okay uh, uh, and uh, so i did that and i was also approached to do a, a film uh, uh, called char adhyay which is based on a novella by rabindranath tagore 
and uh, the director uh, his name is Kumar Shahani very art house kind of film so Kumar Shahani was looking for somebody for this role and he had actually gone to Kolkata to look for people and he met somebody who said you know I know this guy uh, who I think you know fits the bill and but he's in Bombay so at Kumar Shahani was based in Bombay so after he came back so he actually first called me and he spoke to me on the phone and then we met and he cast me so yeah, as I did the play, I did this film, and then I was also at that time uh, I did a cameo in a film by Sudhir Mishra called Israt Ki Subah Nahi. Okay. So yeah, so yeah, and in fact, at that point, I think that you know, if I decided that I would uh, leave advertising and get into acting, it would have probably become a full-time thing for me. But you know, somehow or the other, I you know, I just decided that I'll do do. Do it as something on the side. It'll be a side hustle, and advertising will be my main thing. So, then after that, I did. You know, I I, I played the Buddha in a play on the life of Buddha, which toured the U.S. and Singapore and India. So I did things on and off like that, but I couldn't devote a whole lot of time to it. And then Piku came. Uh, uh, so the writer of Piku is uh, Juhi Chaturvedi, yeah. who used to be my colleague. So okay. she called me up first and said, Shivanto, would you do a cameo for us? I said, sure. So she said, then uh, Shujit. Shujit Sarkar, the director, is also a friend because I've done many ad films with him, you know. Okay. So he then he called me and said, Shumanto, do this. I said, okay, I would love to do it. And yeah, so that's how that happened. And of all the things I've done, that's the one thing that gets me most recognized because also <laughs> that, you know, that that scene became a meme, you know, that, yeah. that, 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 scene has been forwarded so many and it keeps coming up every now and then so i I think because of that people recognize me from uh, and also on netflix for the longest time the promo the netflix promo was that scene oh wow really okay and you know it's very funny netflix has this thing of serving different people different things so I thought when I saw it that, you know, I'm probably being shown this because it's figured out it's me. Then I had friends telling me, hey, you know, we saw you on the Netflix uh, promo. So I said, okay, no, that's the standard one. So now you're famous world over. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So so anyway, I I hope uh, more films and uh, plays, uh, I mean, I think that require, actually, because that uh, theater, what happens is that this... uh, rehearsal period is very long and you have to spend so currently i'm thinking more in terms of film because if if it's and also you know in in a way i mean i'm not saying the film is easier but there's a concept of a retake in a film which i always find reassuring versus theater where you have you know you can't mess up it's like it's like the ted talk you know (laughs) where you have to be perfect so I mean, I, I've really enjoyed doing theatre as well, actually. Uh, I did this Agatha Christie's Mouse Tra- Mousetrap. Mousetrap, okay. Yeah, and I, I played this this character called Paravicini. Who is this, oh, you know. Okay. Somewhat over-the-top Italian yeah. character. So I, I really enjoyed doing that as well. Uh, and a couple of other plays that I've done. So yeah, I'm I'm completely open. I'm not only open. I really want to do a lot more acting. So I hope that uh, 
I'm going to get the roles. Yeah, let, let's just manifest that into the universe yes. right now. As I always say on this show for all my guests, you know, manifest whatever you want on this show. You'll never know, you know, what might just come your way. Super. But um, yeah, you know, kind of, but just looking then at your career trajectory uh, and before going into the English not I surely want to ask this is you know you've had such an unconventional career trajectory as we've kind of seen and discussed right now um, have you ever faced any kind of misconceptions over your choices on what you know you've done till now or what you do well you know I have to tell you this uh, story which I, I you know I, I just remembered it and I don't think I've related it to anybody before this but you know when I was applying to Ogilvy in Calcutta hmm. uh, I was interviewed by a senior executive a very senior person in the agency and so he wanted to know about my educational qualifications so I started by saying that I studied mathematics and economics at the bachelor's level so then he asked me if I managed to graduate <laughs> so I said, I, I said yes I, I, I said I did and then I went on to do a master's degree in mathematics. So he said, and you dropped out of the course? So I said, no, I didn't drop out of the course. I finished it. Not only that, I completed it and I enrolled for an MBA. Then he said, so you must have left your MBA halfway through, right? I said, no, I got the degree. So he couldn't believe that someone who had got all these degrees was applying for a job in the creative department, which didn't require any of these qualifications. <laughs> so it was it was really, uh, it was a little weird at that time. But in retrospect, it's so hilarious that, you know, you're talking about your degrees one after the other and, you know, you're being, uh, so you dropped out of it. Oh, so you didn't finish it because the person just could not believe that you had finished all these degrees and then you were applying for something which just didn't require any of them. Yeah. Oh my God. So that's I think, crazy. So that, yeah, so that, that to me is an example of people not quite taking uh, you know, my un, sort of unexpected or unusual career choice, given my educational background the right way. Yeah. But have you ever then, I'm just curious, did you ever face like any kind of, uh, I don't know, assumptions or, of, or the like, I guess, even from say family or friends in terms of what you were doing? Yeah, you know, so uh, I, I have had a lot of, uh, thankfully, my parents were okay with it. But I've had a lot of relatives saying that same thing after studying in Bengali, they would say after studying so much, you've gone into advertising. You know, so it was, so that was, that was a typical reaction that I got at that yeah. time. Yeah, this is, I think it's a universal reaction at this point. Yeah. Yeah, after doing finance... You've got it to publish. To publishing, yeah. yeah. I That's publishing a... is far, sounds far more respectable, at least in, <laughs> in the kind of world that, with the, you know, the Bengali families who are into academics and, and you know, they're into books. So publishing yeah. is still something very worthy. But yeah. advertising. <laughs> I hope my advertising friends are not listening to this. Why <laughs> mean you're a storyteller, so I mean... Yeah, yeah. It's, that's that's one way of looking at it. Um, but true. yes, that's... but yes, you know, um, of course, the English nut. I really want to know how was that, you know, idea born, and how did you kind of decide to start this? What made you decide to start this, and what has your journey been like with it till now? So you know, I I told you that you know at a very young age I 
suddenly thrown into this English environment and I was able to thrive in that, thankfully. So I've always had this fondness for the English language. And uh, like even in the agency in, in Ogilvy and 82.5, which is also part of the Ogilvy group, but my colleagues always came to me for anything related to English. You know, so, and one of my colleagues, uh, VR Rajesh, who's also a, a close friend, you know, he said, you should, you should do a blog, an English blog. And so I started writing these uh, sort of posts about English in, um, on Facebook, on my personal Facebook page. But when I was doing that, I thought that, you know, I want to, A, I want to reach a bigger audience and be that you know that that's the time when i started this about four years ago that that was when everybody was saying video is the thing you know mm. so i said that i've got to start doing videos and so i launched uh, the english nut and i promised myself that for one year come what may i would i would upload one video a week okay and yeah and if after a year i you know, I saw that the thing is not working out, then maybe I'll give up, but I'm going to give it everything I have for one year. So for one year, and you know, it's not easy to, you know, uh, write, uh, you know, to script and yeah. research script and shoot yeah. uh, a video every week. Yeah. Uh, but I, I did that. And uh, so, you know, I, I went, I got through that one year and I felt that, you know, it made, the English not made a niche for itself and it's now almost four years. So I've got like 200 odd videos on my YouTube channel. So I, I must have done something right, I guess. But yeah. And uh, the other thing is that, but you know, the what is amazing is that d- so many things have happened in the world during this period. I mean, the pandemic and lockdown being the most significant thing till the lockdown happened. I used to, you know, because I was in an ad agency and I had colleagues who could shoot and direct and all that. So I would write the scripts and then I would find somebody to shoot it for me. And then we'd, I'd also do these little skits and all that because I had a director. And then what happened? Then suddenly lockdown. And I didn't, and I'm technologically challenged. So I said, now what do I do? You know, I don't even know how to shoot a video on my phone. And then I, like, I stayed awake one whole night saying, like either have to shut this thing down or I have to figure out how to shoot. So I remember the first video that I shot, shot was on the word quarantine. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so, and it, and I, I remember I, um, it was apt because the lockdown was starting. And uh, I remember that I, I didn't know, how, I, I didn't have a tripod or anything. So I, I took a pile of books and then I put my laptop on that and I used the lap so and I balanced the phone against my laptop screen so that I could use the you know I could angle the laptop screen to angle my phone properly so that I got the right frame. Oh wow. Because I shot the video and it was very grainy. But you know, one thing is that on this these kinds of uh, videos, when you do stuff on social media, people are not so fast about the quality. It's more about the content. So I, I managed to get by with the, the grainy footage. And then from there, I slowly learned how to use a tripod, how to use lights. And so, I mean, that necessity was the mother of learning in, in the lockdown for me. Yeah. But how did you come up with the name, The English Nut? Hmm. I don't know, actually. I, I mean, I was just thinking what, 
I sort of thought that uh, English is nuts and I'm nuts about English, so I'm the English nut. That's that's the way I kind of came oh, up wow. with the name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> But then, what have okay? What have your favorite videos been? You've done on the English nut, like which words or series or phrases? It's really hard for me to say, but I, I think that uh, uh, so initially I, I was talking about uh, so doing these skits, right? So for example, there was a soul. Uh, uh, there were two videos that I did with. There was me playing uh, a double role of both a patient and a doctor. Okay. And, and basically taking all these medic words related to disease and medicine, which are typically mispronounced. in india and then making a really funny skit out of that so there were two of those videos which are among my favorites uh there was another series that i did where you know i i played a a waiter and a double role of a waiter and a diner at a restaurant okay one of my earliest videos uh and the waiter was mispronouncing the name of food items on the menu uh so that that was also a lot of fun but yeah unfortunately now i'm i'm not doing videos like that because uh, though the lockdown is now over but still uh, given my you know i'm busy doing my book and so many other things i just have time to do a, a video which is just a straight on you know talking head kind of a thing Yeah, but i think but I, we, i i really do enjoy uh, the videos where you come as the sardar ji Yes, those as well. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, so I shot a whole lot of them together, but I release one uh, every you know few weeks or, or so. Yeah, that that was also a lot of fun. Yeah, and a, and a, a couple of my Sardar friends said that I that I got the look absolutely right. <laughs> okay, wow. Okay, because so, I thought those videos were just like yeah. they're so entertaining and they're so educational. I'm like, yes, this is edutainment at its finest right here. <laughs> But you know, where do you then kind of see the English not going? Because I'm assuming this kind of started mostly as a passion project, and now you're even like coming out with a book on it. What can you tell us about that? And where do you see the English not going? So I, I mean, I obviously I the English not has is something that's close to my heart, and I think it's really given me. Uh, an identity. Uh, I mean, my identity was primarily as being this advertising uh, man, and this gave me a, a whole other identity, which you know, which I'm really happy about, and I want to keep doing it. And uh, the other thing that I always want uh, told myself that what I would do in the English art was not. I didn't try to be too scientific about. Oh, I have to reach this target audience, and therefore I should do uh, videos like this. I wanted every video that I did. it had to be something that appealed to me it it had to be a subject that appealed to me and that that and i want to continue to do that i don't know you know uh, so far i've just and i've got a lot of uh, pe- people approaching me to do uh, sort of endorsements and things like that but they were not they were not really worthwhile and i don't really i i don't want to do it some, unless it's something that's really worthwhile because i'm quite happy to continue doing things the way that i'm doing of course if some opportunity comes along i'm not going to say no to it but i mean that's not my primary focus no yeah. 
No, and, and that's fair. the book and the book is uh, I don't want to talk too much about it because it's you know fair. I, I, I want to finish writing it first and you know get it published before I start talking about it. And and hopefully the publishers are not going to get fed up with me and pull the plug before I finish it. Yeah. Uh, looks like I'll have to invite you back on this show, Shubham, to talk about the book when it's out. Yes, yes, yes. Please do that. Yes, but uh, no, it's it's really cool to see you kind of working on so many different things and really, I think, thriving and living your best life in a way. You know, more power to you for that. Um, so we're kind of coming to the end, but before coming to our last two questions, I do want to ask you one more thing, which is. What have been some of your favorite um, stories in terms of, say, books or films or, you know, just content you've consumed that's maybe, you know, kind of impacted you either while growing up or just generally in life? Like, what are some of your favorite uh, stories? So, I, I, so as a child, I think uh, I had two favorite films. Uh, one of them was The Sound of Music. Oh, I love that. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a favorite of a lot of people. And the uh, and the other one is uh, a Bengali film by Satyajit, by Satyajit Ray called Gupi Gain Bain, which and like uh, The Sound of Music, this too is a musical. So I also back in the day had the records of The Sound of Music and Gupi Gain Bain. So I, you know, I would play them and I would sing along. So, yeah. And I, of course, I watched the movies over and over again. And even as an adult, I've watched both the movies. Uh, if you haven't seen Gupi Gain, you should see it because it's, I, I think it's one of the most beautiful children's films made in India ever. So, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, I'll definitely check it out. Um, I have uh, read a collection of poems by Sukumar Ray, Satyajit Ray's father. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know the Bengali name, but in English it's called Nonsense Rhymes. Uh, which yeah, is yeah, a... yeah. Abul Tabul. Yes. So, Abul yeah. Tabul. So I actually, for one of my... Uh, English Nut episodes, I translated one of those poems into English. Oh. And, uh, okay, yeah. so we're now finally coming to the end of this interview. And we always end with these last two questions. So the first one is, um, you know, what are your creative aspirations? Um, or anything, actually, what are your aspirations in general? What are you looking forward to in the near or even distant future? So, you know, I've, I've kind of covered... Uh, these things already uh, in bits and pieces. I'm in the process of completing a book based on the English Nut, uh, which I'm really behind on and hope <laughs> to finish soon. And I've mentioned that I want to act and I've made a start on that. And I'm open to exploring anything interesting where my writing skills could come into play. Uh, and, and I think creativity in general, I wouldn't restrict it only to writing. Uh, I mean, I think that for me, my goal always has been to live my life creatively, mm -hmm. to explore creativity in all its different uh, dimensions. So there may be a dimension that, that I've not explored yet, which I would get a chance to explore now. I mean, I, I know I, I love to do work. I, I mean, I'm, I'm an amateur photographer and I love to take pictures. And I was really happy because I did. Uh, I published a, a, a picture essay a photo essay in a magazine uh, based on a trip that I'd taken, a horse riding trip that I'd taken uh, in Denmark. Oh, wow. And Yeah. So they said that we'd love to 
feature your photograph so that that was so you know i suddenly i was suddenly a published photographer also so like that you know i don't know what what's next but definitely i think what really keeps me going and what keeps me charged is to have uh, to to be able to explore creativity and to do different creative things and that's that's what really keeps me inspired and keeps me from from going stale i think <laughs> Well, that's yeah. that's amazing and i'm looking forward you know to kind of seeing what you come up with next uh, as you always do on social media it's always such a pleasure and treat to kind of see the different things you're working on so more power to you on that thank you thank you and, so much and finally the last question uh, what is a piece of advice or learning you'd like to share with people this can be creative professional personal just something you know you've experienced and learned yourself and wish more people were aware yeah. of so you know i think the important element in my working life has been relationships with people hmm. how you treat others is so important and for me the people i work with mattered as much or more than the actual work we were doing Uh, and in, in this respect you know i was different from some of the other ambitious people that i've come across who focus solely solely on the work and they see the people only as a means to an end i've never been able to look at life like that so mm-hmm. my advice to everybody is to see people in human terms and and simply put be good to them <laughs> so it seems like a very uh, uh, you know mundane piece of advice but i really believe in this and i think that you know one can't say it enough so i i think that we should all learn to treat the people around us better yeah no i think it's a very true piece of advice and i think it is something everyone tends to forget um in a way you know through life um I guess and so yeah it is it is definitely an important piece of advice yeah, because sure. I, you know I think if you're a part of a team if you're leading a team like I've yeah. been leading teams forever I mean I you know I think loyal loyalty is so important mm. and loyalty works both ways you know True. while you do expect loyalty from them yeah. and you have to be loyal to them as well so that's For the sure. being them part of it you know so that yeah. the loyalty works both ways definitely and on that wonderful note we have now come to the end of this interview thank you so much for being here shumanto it was an absolute pleasure talking to you i loved hearing your story and you know just all the anecdotes you shared and experiences you spoke about um i hope you had fun yes sangeeta it was great uh talking to you i think that you're a kindred spirit because uh, you're the finance person who went into publishing <laughs> and the math and economics and business person who went into uh, the creative department in an ad agency so i think that's why we hit it off so well and it was really enjoyable talking to you thank you so much for having me on this show thank you so much for being here thank you thank you so that was my conversation with shumanto chatopadhyay I really enjoyed recording this and it was so cool to hear about different anecdotes and experiences from his life. Closing this episode with an excerpt from a short story written and narrated by Shumanto. I hope you enjoyed the show and I'll see you next week with a new guest and a new chronicle to share. Talk soon. I'm going to read an excerpt from Mount Uma, a short story I wrote. 
The giraffe beamed. She had been grazing on an acacia tree by the side of the road. When Maxine stopped the car to get a good look at her, she reciprocated her curiosity. The giraffe stuck her head through the window and smiled at her. Maxine suddenly felt like a child and wanted to squeal with joy, excitement and just a smidgen of glorious fear. The ossicones of the giraffe brushed Maxine's shoulder as the gentle creature straightened out to her full height and went back to eating acacia twigs. Maxine drove on through the dusty savanna, imagining that she was in an old photograph. The ubiquitous dry tall grass and the smattering of leafless baobab trees that secretly hoarded water in their giant trunks were all in shades of pale sepia. Maxine never stopped marveling at how the seemingly dead sentinels of the East African savanna, the baobabs, revealed their inner life with an overnight growth of greenery when there was even the lightest shower of rain. Lately, however, there had been no precipitation. Well before Maxine caught the first glimpse of Mount Uma, she sensed it. A cool shadow seemed to fall on her. She had read that Uma used to be taller than Mount Jaro, its neighbor, but the volcanic mountain had blown its top off. Perhaps a phantom of its earlier stature remained. Near Uma, the grassland gave way to forest. She found a clearing in the trees and parked her Peugeot in it. Then she hitched her backpack onto her shoulder and began the trek. The path entered dense forest, some of the lushest in East Africa. It passed through an arch, a natural gateway to the Mount Uma Trail. The arch was formed by two olive trees trapped permanently in the tight embrace of a ficus. Maxine came across a male giraffe. She was sure that he was the mate of the one she had met earlier on her drive. She looked up and told the giraffe that his partner was waiting for him downhill. The giraffe looked a bit startled and loped away. His gait made Maxine think of slow motion film. It started to get colder as she gained altitude and the sun descended to the horizon. The wind picked up and she imagined she heard singing in a soothing, whispery male voice. Malaika, nakupenda malaika. Angel, I love you, angel. It was the voice of Julius. Oh, Julius, why are you not here beside me? Why Geneva? Did you have to study a complicated subject? Why couldn't you specialize in something that was offered in the medical school in nearby Rubinia? Maxine remembered the freshman year college cultural program where he sang this song. His voice had transfixed her. She had noticed him before, a tall and gentle young man. But that day, the voice floated down from the stage and wrapped her in its embrace. The relationship between a white girl and a black boy had been met with skepticism on campus. But after a while, people realized that the bond went beyond racial differences. Maxine had a trusting soul and Julius nurtured it in the nest of his quiet caring. Malaika Nakupenda Malaika Nami Nifanieje Kijana Mwenzio Angel, I love you, angel, but I, your young friend, what should I do?